he's the kind of man who wouldn't leave you a crumb on a plate. If City ring up this morning and say, come on then, what's the price? He will say it's X. It's not X minus 10%. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. The News Round on Off The Ball. With Gilles. We don't just play the game, we change it. Gilles, made of what matters. This is News Talk. Happy New Year, Nathan. We're still saying that, I think. Are we? Yeah, we're allowed. I was discussing this last night with Joe. Yeah, we're just about, because with every person that you meet for the first time, I think up until, I'm going to say the 10th, because beyond that, you're probably taking the mickey a little bit. But uh, yeah, we'll go, with, we'll go with the Happy New Year, Nathan. It'd be rude of me not, I'd feel rude not to wish you a Happy New Year. It would have been today. uncomfortable. It would have been uncomfortable it if been, I yeah. didn't say If it. I just went, all right. Uh, I've, I've already recorded Golf Weekly with Joe Malloy, so we don't need to go through all this again, Joe. <laughs> No, I don't think we do. Uh, yeah, a rather wonderful uh, start to the golfing year. Uh, it, it is the most wonderful time of the golfing year. Hawaii, like it's it's bloody grim. I the, the only time I ever imagined if I would be a professional golfer is this week of the year when I think I would love to play in the Tournament of Champions in Hawaii. It is always 30 degrees. There's not a cloud in the sky. The golf course looks incredible. The best players in the world are there. Like It is the one time I'm insanely jealous I think, whatever about Augusta. Yes, I'd love to play Augusta. Yes, I'd love to play the Masters. But this really feels like one of the good perks of the gig, playing in Kapalua this week. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm insanely jealous the other 51 weeks of the year as well, I must confess. But this is a good one. It's like our sun lamp, isn't it? Golf fans, this comes on. The depths of winter. It's on quite late. And it's in... Is it Kapalua? Yeah, Kapalua. And... The players treat it as a bit of a holiday as well. They bring their families out. They're all having a good time. There's only 40 of them in the field. They're all getting money. They're all getting paid. It's a dream start of the year for the Tournament of Champions. Uh, it sure is. And it's actually a great field. It used to be the sort of tournament where some lads would rock up and some wouldn't really bother making the trip to Hawaii. But this time it's got eight of the top ten in the world. John Ram is there. Colin Marcao was there. So it's actually going to be a brilliant tournament. And Seamus Power is there uh, as well as the Irish representative. Yeah. We were discussing this on the golf podcast today. He might be the most uh, underappreciated Irish sports person at the moment. When you think that on the PGA Tour right now, we have Rory McIlroy, we have Shane Lowry, and then we have Seamus Power. Yeah, incredibly underappreciated. Totally agree with you. One on the PGA Tour it, last year, Last season as well. Yes, it was last season. It's hard with the wraparound to keep track. But one on the PGA Tour. He's had six top tens in the last season on, you know, one of the most difficult, certainly the most difficult golf tour in an incredibly difficult and competitive sport. So grossly underappreciated. I think if you were to ask average person, start from number one and start listing out Ireland's greatest sports people. I don't think Seamus Power would be in most people's top 100 and he definitely should be. Uh, absolutely so uh, that is getting underway soon but it goes on till about 3 o'clock in the morning so stay up late watch it imagine you're in Hawaii uh, having a good time we've got a packed show we're going to talk about Novak Djokovic and Richie you can bring us up uh, to date with all the latest we've got Joey and Doe on the football show Richie Joey and Doe one of the few players yes. who's played for the big four Dublin clubs and I'm including Bowes in that played for Pats Shells yeah. Shamrock yeah. Rovers yeah, I warmly remembered up in Sligo, of course, as well. And mm. he's made a home up in the up in the northwest, and has been uh, a constant fixture of LOI TV coverage of Sligo Rovers games and Finn Harps games. Um, Welcome to Heaven has almost become his catchphrase. 
when somebody <laughs> scores a goal. He's just, he's a force of nature. He, like, he really is. And like, I, I was watching, the chat was, was recorded earlier on, I was watching it live, and you can't help but smile. I couldn't help but smile watching Joey and Doe most of the time, and even when he wasn't playing for Bose, because he's such a pleasure to watch in terms of his, his, his ball-playing ability, and he kind of almost played in his own world. Like, the, the game happened to be happening ancillary to what was going on in Joey and Doe's head, and occasionally those two worlds came together and their two orbits uh, bumped, and something wonderful would happen for the team he was playing for. But he was just his own man, and was a joy to watch and is now a joy to listen to. And I can only imagine what it's like being coached by him as well, because he's obviously uh, done some coaching in the last while. Um, what kind of advice he's given to players and, and how he transmits that, um, I'd imagine they come away buzzing pretty much every time they have to deal with him. Uh, we're going to get him on again and talk about the League of Ireland years because we ended up, uh, Joe, focusing pretty much solely on his time with Cameroon and the African Cup of Nations. And you'd almost forget about the career he had before he came to Ireland. Like played in the 98 World Cup, played the three group stage games for Cameroon, wins two African Cup of Nations as part of the Cameroon squad, alongside Samuel Eto'o and all sorts of other hugely talented players, is in the squad again for the 2002 uh, World Cup. Like He had lived a big life and a big career before he arrived in Ireland, and he's brilliant talking about Samuel Eto'o and how talented Eto'o was. Even before he went to Barcelona, it makes the point that actually it was easy for him in Barcelona because it was such a talented squad that in Mallorca, was when he carried a team on his shoulders and blitzed everybody and also talks about the jersey, which, Richie, you're obviously oh, yeah. a connoisseur of jerseys. Yeah, yeah. The, the sleeveless number the sleeveless for Cameroon 2002, jersey from which was barred by FIFA. Mm. Uh, FIFA wouldn't allow it, so they had to wear these under... Like, people remembered them playing um, Ireland in Ibaraki, wasn't it, I think? And they were wearing those, those undershirts uh, because FIFA, for some reason, couldn't deal with the sheer power of the Cameroonian bicep. Could you pull, <clears throat> could you pull it off, Joe? <laughs> the sleeveless football jersey. I'm glad you're Trevor Giles, person, not me. Not very well, Nathan. If I say yes to that, I know you'll go out and buy me one and make me <laughs> yeah, do it. Yeah. So, no, I couldn't. Uh, that's amazing. I think I'd underappreciated his career. And did you say they won the African Cup of Nations twice? Twice. Uh, beat Nigeria. Really good Nigeria side of JJ Okacha and Tariba West and Julius Agahoa in 2000 and penalties. And then beat Senegal in 2002, just a few months before Senegal obviously go to the World Cup. Uh, and shocked the world. So at a time when African football was really, really strong and interested as well, actually, very balanced on the conversation around the African Cup of Nations. I was making the point that like, it must really be frustrating to listen to the way the African Cup of Nations is talked about in this part of the world, which is as a bit of a nuisance that it's taking players away in the middle of the Premier League season. He's making the point that, well, he can completely understand where the clubs are coming from and that maybe a lot of the players are even a little bit torn in that do you want to be away from your club it's such an important part of the season but it's just the way the calendar uh, works right now and uh, isn't as taken away by the superstars sort of feels when you look back at the African Cup of Nations that it's built more on the strongest team and the players who can adapt to not playing with the real quality that they're used to week in week out because obviously you look at uh, Mo Salah going back playing with Egypt while there are some other players playing in the top leagues the vast majority of them are playing domestically so how they deal with that so uh, we're going to have Jonathan Wilson on tomorrow night's show actually doing a bit more of an in-depth chat about the different teams that are there so uh, he's coming up after 9 o'clock after 8 though Richie we're talking Novak Djokovic uh, mm. you go away for a couple of hours and this seems to take another turn 
Yeah, Novak Djokovic has to wait until Monday to discover if his appeal against the visa cancellation has been successful. Border Force officials last night denied the world number one official entry to Australia ahead of this month's Australian Open. Djokovic is staying at the government-approved Park Hotel in Carlton, just in North Melbourne, as he awaits either deportation or formal entry to the country. Officials were unhappy with the documentation accompanying his medical exemption to play at the Australian Open, and Djokovic's mother, Diana, was asked how her son was faring. As a mother, uh, what can I say? If you are a mother, you can just imagine how you, f- how can I feel? I feel uh, terrible since yesterday, last 24 hours, that they are keeping him as a prisoner. It's just not fair. It's not human. So I just hope that he will be strong, as we are trying also to to be very strong, to give him some energy to keep on going. I hope that he will win. Terrible accommodation. It's just some small uh, immigration hotel, as we can, if it's hotel at all, with some bugs. With with, uh, it's so dirty and uh, the food is so terrible. So, what can I say? They don't. They don't want to give him any chance to to move on to some better hotel or house that he already rented. But we hope we will manage somehow. So the Park Hotel is in Carlton in Melbourne, and. It is described on its website as a luxurious 4.5 star hotel set in a prime location, 107 rooms, all air conditioned, though it is ranked 105th out of 170 hotels in Melbourne. And Novak Djokovic's mother clearly not impressed with the food. It's all got a little bit farcical uh, over the last 24 hours, Joe. And part of me is starting to feel a bit of sympathy for Djokovic in the sense that he's clearly at the middle of a political tug of war not even a tug of war a very much one-sided um easy um punch bag for the america uh, the australian political system that they probably made a mistake initially in allowing him in and now they're taking every opportunity to humiliate him but at the same time maybe he deserves it yeah it's hard to know i mean nadal came out very strongly and it's rare for nadal isn't it Mm. he came out strongly and said well it's pretty clear situation get vaccinated you can play no problems if you don't do that then you're bringing everything on yourself it was very unusual for nadal to come out so strongly i do agree that there is politics at play here just doing a bit of reading over the last 24 hours increasingly that is being discussed across the board the prime minister scott morrison has elections to worry about later this year He's enjoying saying things like rules are rules and nobody's above the rules. And Australia cases are surging there at the moment. And that's despite having had 260 plus days of lockdown in Victoria alone. And yet cases are still surging. There's criticism of how the government are handling the situation. There's criticism over lack of antigen tests, etc. And there's definitely the strong suspicion that this is a fairly neat way to change the conversation in Australia. The only thing anyone's talking about right now is not Scott Morrison and his handling of the pandemic. They are talking about Novak Djokovic. And I'm sure it's polling very well to put the anti-vax multi-multi-millionaire in his place. Like I saw his deputy, Barnaby Joyce, which is a hell of a name. He was saying things like, rich people can't just wander around the world thinking they're above the law. I mean, I'd say that's polling pretty well, that kind of a comment, you know. So that that aspect is there for sure i would just say where i i do think what seems to have happened here is initially we all thought well he got the exemption through two different bodies the tennis australia and then the victorian state we assumed he'd got the exemption by dint of having had COVID. 
probably in the last six months, which was the rule. And now it turns out Scott Morrison came out and said, well, that is actually not one of the criteria. And he says that we, the government, wrote to Australian tennis officials warning them that this would not be accepted by the Australian border force at the airports. And there seems to have been a breakdown there because I think it's fairly obvious he's not, he doesn't have an acute illness. He hasn't reacted very badly to an initial vaccine, given that he probably hasn't had any vaccine. So the only way he was really, it seemed, getting an exemption was to have had COVID in the last six months or otherwise. And I think that's where the Australian Border Force said, well, hang on, we're not accepting that because there's federal government and there's wider government. We're not accepting that. And you knew we weren't accepting that. And I think actually it's it's now the Djokovic situation has highlighted this little discrepancy in the system to the extent that a couple of other tennis players who did get through the airport for similar reasons to Djokovic, they're now being investigated. So they're kind of saying, geez, thanks a lot, Novak. <laughs> you're, you're, you're screwing all of us here now. Uh, so I, that's my best guess as to what happened here, because otherwise I don't understand how he got the exemption from two different bodies, two different boards. Like they didn't make a mistake. They knew what they were doing. But it seems that the uh, border police had a different interpretation of what allows you in for 14 without the 14 day uh, quarantine. I wonder, by the way, sorry, last one. If he's that desperate to um, play the tournament and to not get vaccinated, I mean, could he have found a way to do the 14 days quarantining? You know, they did, they did last year. He won the tournament. Nobody liked that either. And he didn't want to do that either. And that's one of the reasons Tennis Sangren, the, the US player, has essentially bypassed this whole thing. He says, I'm not even going to bother with the Australian Open this year because he didn't want to have to deal with the, the quarantine or with um, the you know paperwork and all that kind of stuff that he'd have to do to actually play in the tournament. He's not going to win it, though. He's <laughs> not going to win it, though. Djokovic could well win. I'm sure he could find a nice spot to quarantine. Didn't they? they a couple of the high-profile guys and uh, Osaka and uh, Serena Williams last year, they managed to quarantine somewhere quite nice and could practice all the time. But he was whinging about it the whole time. Djokovic was one of the ones whinging about the, the quarantine situation. And he's not been helped by his, his own family. Like um, we heard his mother there, his father um, obviously has been speaking on purely through Serbian and has been doing things like comparing what his son is going through to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Um, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't there at the time, but I don't think they're really comparable. Um, like as, as Nadal says, and I have the clip here, like it, it's just sortable by Djokovic just playing by the rules and getting vaccinated. And this whole thing of, of trying to make a grandstand, for, like for what? Like what's, he make, what's he making a grandstand over? Who's, in the, who's this actually impressing? What kind of people is he trying to get on side here? And it's one of the, like there's a litany of things you could go back through the history of Novak Djokovic and the company that he keeps, um, which is you know a, a worse than what he's doing here. But he's, he's not coming out of this well. Well, it may also not be the last issue he faces. If you listen to what Emmanuel Macron has been saying, in France over the last couple of days has got him in quite a bit of trouble where his aim, as he said, is basically to piss off the unvaccinated. Mm. Uh, you would wonder about the French Open and what the rules will be in France by then. So Djokovic may find himself in this position again very, very soon. Uh, in terms of what happens next, Richie, so he's mm. in this hotel until Monday and there's an appeal at that stage and then one way or another he'll be allowed to stay or he'll be kicked out? Yeah, that's it. He's, he's waiting until Monday to find out if this visa application is going to be successful. His lawyer is obviously working on that and there might be loopholes that effectively allow him to leave the country, come back and, and try this all over again. But as you mentioned, his longtime rival, Rafa Nadal, says the nine-time Australian Open champion has no one to blame for this situation but himself. If he wanted, uh, he will be playing here in Australia without a, a problem. No, He went through a, uh, another 
he makes his own decisions and everybody uh, is uh, free to take uh, their own decisions but then uh, there are some some consequences no and uh, of course of course I I don't like the the situation that uh, is happening uh, in some way I I feel uh, sorry for him but at the same time um, he know he knew the conditions since uh, a lot of months ago so he makes his own decision yeah, I think uh, Rafa Nadal summed it up. In some ways, I feel sorry for him, but uh, he mm. sort of brought all this on himself. Uh, 53106 is the text number. The news round brought to you by Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Uh, it's an FA Cup weekend, Richie, and Manchester City are the latest with some COVID issues ahead of their game tomorrow night. They're fairly sizable ones, but they say they're not planning to ask for tomorrow's third round trip to Swindon to be postponed. Manager Pep Guardiola is one of 21 members of City staff to test positive for the virus, while seven players will miss out. Assistant coach Rodolfo Burrell, uh, no relation to Johnny, will be in charge of that game at the county ground, and he says they're happy for the game to be played. We actually have prepared mentally for, uh, for the game. Uh, we have to prepare that uh, for the game uh, to happen and this is what we've done up until now and we keep going this way. If then tomorrow, for whatever reason, it's not possible because there are uh, more news, uh, this is out of our our reach to know right now. So, uh, But right now, yes, we are prepared to play the game and we have been preparing the whole days and mentally we are, we are ready for it. I feel a Richie McCormack anti-Razor-like rant coming on. <laughs> uh... I just thought, like, if, if ever there's a pro razor light rant, I would only ever point people in the direction of Johnny Burrell's speech at, was it Live 8? Where oh, he was doing some mad quote. I'll probably have to bring it up here, but he's like, blah, 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 blah. He's like, make the, sign the pledge. Johnny Burrell said that, or I said that. He was a ridiculous human being, and they're a very poor band. Um, but yeah, uh, that's Rodolfo Burrell, who has no connection, as we believe, to the, you know, beleaguered you razor light front man. Uh, that we know of, yeah. Ed Woodward, Joe, it's over. It's over for Ed. First uh, of February, he is gone from Manchester United. Is is that going to be the turning point? Do you think? Is that will the leaks stop the second Ed Woodward departs? Sorry, I've missed it. What are some of the leaks, by the way? Well, I heard just, you mention that top they're of the show. All, they're all very unhappy. Uh, every day you pick up the paper this week, it's on the back of every single newspaper as to how unhappy the Manchester United players are. Uh, certain players unhappy that the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo are assured of their place in the team, no matter what. Uh, players unhappy with the training methods that the high press isn't working that they should be spending more time uh, training in possession of the ball than out of the ball that they don't have the players to do what he wants uh, he also seems unhappy Ragnick with the size of the squad that it's too big that he doesn't like having 28 29 players on the training ground because there's too many of them unhappy and yeah it just feels as though every uh, little issue that the Manchester United squad have at the moment finds its way into the papers it's there's incredible actual, how quickly it's it's sort it's of disintegrating yeah. there's been yeah, an actual no, headcount as well there's nice. been like 17 players was the number quoted as being unhappy so there's like somebody going around going you're unhappy you're unhappy you're unhappy are you want to hear me unhappy and then posting that on to, to whoever's in the press it's it's like it's laughable like it really really yeah. is I mean I don't think the leaks will stop when Ed goes on the 1st of February somehow this Rangnick thing everything about it smells bad I think this is a disaster think they need to pull the plug in this quickly or they need to say to him yeah can you make your recommendation now you know if, if you're going to recommend Pochettino in the summer can you recommend him now and we're just going to get Pochettino because nothing about this is working 
Uh, there was a half hour against Crystal Palace where they kind of pressed in a not terrible way considering it's the first game. And since then, it has been an abomination. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're trying to do. They were once an okay counter-attacking team. Solskjaer tried to turn them into a more of a possession team. Blew up in his face. Ronaldo arrives. Solskjaer got sucked into this let's press, people say we can't press business. That blew up in their face. And now they brought in Rangnick, the godfather of pressing, and gave him this team who just cannot press and will never be able to press with Ronaldo leading the line. So uh, that is a, an unholy disaster. And uh, I'd say I think uh, a suitable parting shot from Ed Woodward to hand him this uh, mess. He must be the most unpopular <laughs> executive at a football club ever. And that is saying something. I mean, we could do a top five. We could do a top five uh, of most unpopular. But uh, Woodward's tenure has just been utterly synonymous with bad decision after bad decision and failure after failure, except, of course, when it comes to making lots of money. Well, uh, as Daniel Taylor has in his piece in The Athletic, uh, some of the things that Ed Woodward has overseen, uh, Newcastle's first win at Old Trafford since 1972, Cardiff's first since 1954, West Brom's first since 1978, Sheffield United since 1973, Burnley since 1962, and Swansea's for the first time in their history. All of those things have happened uh, on Ed Woodward's watch. We're going to be chatting about it, actually, with Laurie Whitwell of The Athletic uh, on the football show as well. And uh, making that point that already, about a month into this, uh, it feels that any conversation around Ralph Rangnick staying on in the summer is already over. Oh, I mean, 4 2 2 2 2 2 2 2 No, thank you. No. Uh, we're pretty much done for time. Uh, Richie, just quickly, there's a couple of games on tonight in the Dr. Yeah. Cup. Kingspan Brefney, the venue for tonight's Mechanic Cup Section B encounter. Cavan hosting Armagh throw-in is at 7.45. However, Ulster Provincial Secretary Brian McAvoy believes the Mechanic Cup is under threat, writing in his annual report. He claims massive changes to the fixture calendar in the coming years could see the competition wiped from the schedule. McAvoy also says the steps rule is no longer fit for purpose in football and he'd be in favour of a time-based approach. Such a rule was voted down at Congress in 2020, receiving a whopping 9% of the vote. All right, Joe, thank you as always. Richie, take it easy. Thanks. Nice one. See ya. The News Round on Off The Ball. With Gillette. We don't just play the game, we change it. Gillette, made of what matters.